Now Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me. Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Could also be translated so. Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, but the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Please be seated. It's hard to get past that, get thee behind me, Satan, isn't it? That's maybe the harshest thing Jesus ever said, at least to one of his disciples. Last week we were talking about the temptation by Satan of Christ. Have you ever connected that more opportune time to this verse? Hmm. We'll return to that. Let's move forward. This week is an appropriate week to be talking about taking up your cross and following Jesus, or in other words, spending your life for Christ. Because there are, there's one great example and another that I want to call to your attention. Let's put both of them up on the screen. This week, the Reverend Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord. He preached to nearly 215 million people in more than 185 countries and territories and was seen by hundreds of millions more through their television and radio, newspaper columns, and the Internet. By the way, does any remember, any of you as you were children remember turning on the television and you thought you were going to be able to watch, oh, I don't know, Hardcastle and McCormick, I don't know, and there was Billy Graham doing a crusade. Anybody remember that? Oh my good. Yes. And, and as you grew up, you began to see the value of them. But as a kid, it was like the president was on the screen, wasn't it? Yeah. But oh my goodness. The people that came to Christ through his ministry. He wrote more than two dozen books. 
He counseled nearly every American president since Harry Truman and most recently Donald Trump. I did not remember that he was active in the civil rights movement in a relationship, uh, communication with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Evidently, the first integrated crusade took place in Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1953. As the story goes, there was the ropes that was cordoning off the blacks from the whites. And Billy came up and yanked those ropes down and told the ushers who were threatening to put them back up, either these ropes stay down or you can go on and have the revival without me. And from then on, there were no ropes at the Crusades. Former President Jimmy Carter, tirelessly spreading a message of fellowship and hope, he, Billy Graham, shaped the spiritual lives of tens of millions of people worldwide. Broad-minded, forgiving, and humble in his treatment of others, he exemplified the life of Jesus Christ by constantly reaching out for opportunities to serve. Ninety-nine years, much of which given over to the cause of Christ. I heard someone mention on a podcast he was the only one of the televangelists who didn't fall in scandal. And I never, I guess the greatest tribute I can say to him is I never ever even thought of him as a televangelist. He was America's pastor for such a long time. Now, you probably know Billy on the left. On the right is someone you might have heard about but wouldn't know by his picture. This is a man named the the Reverend Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Have you ever heard of him? Okay. He was a German pastor. He wrote a classic book called The Cost of Discipleship. And the standout quote from that was, quote, When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Now, of course, he was talking about dying to self and the message that we'll be bringing today, those kind of thoughts, but he literally gave his life because he was a minister in Nazi Germany. And when part of the Christian church had decided they would rather be followers of blood and soil than of Christ and the cross, he, along with Many others were a part of a splinter group called the Confessing Church because Hitler had made the churches wanting to follow him give up on the confessions and the creeds and everything. Bonhoeffer on the radio did the following. Now, you know, der Führer means the leader, right? Okay. Bonhoeffer was speaking on the radio in Berlin And he said there can only be one leader for Christians, and it isn't Adolf Hitler, it's Jesus Christ. That won him, and a few other things, like being a part of the plot to have Hitler assassinated, earned him two years in the concentration camps, and just three weeks before the war in Germany ended, Bonhoeffer was led out of prison to a gallows, He and several others were stripped and were hung. His last letter to a pastor friend was in England. Uh, He wrote to this friend, This is the end, but for me, it is the beginning of life. Now, 
You may be thinking how sad it is. He lost his life just a few weeks before Germany was liberated. But no, he didn't lose it. He gained it. He lost himself in a cause greater than himself and has impacted the lives of millions. Two exemplars of giving your life for Christ. One who gave it day by day, the other who gave it with his dying testimony. Take up your cross and follow me. That is the challenge that we are faced with in Christ's words. Now, Peter, bless his heart, Peter had it half right. He knew who Jesus was, but he didn't want to accept Jesus' goals. You know, Mark is notable for all of the times Jesus asked people, now, keep this a secret, what I did, what you know. Don't spread it around, keep it, keep it a secret. And it's implied that the reason for the secrecy was the problem that Peter was having. Because there was a difference between what Jesus was going to do and what people thought he should be doing. And Peter's a great example of that. Peter's great confession of faith that Jesus was the Messiah. It was praiseworthy. Jesus even said, and it's reported in Matthew that I believe that this is something that was not given to you by men, but given to you by the Father above. And Peter is at that height. And probably, I would say knowing Peter, but knowing any of us, if the Son of God had just said to you words that praiseworthy, wouldn't you be strutting around like a rooster in the hen house? Some of you are going, where did that come from? We raise chickens, okay? I imagine that he was a little bit proud of himself because Jesus was the Messiah. He had it right. He had his doctrine down. He had it correct. He was even inspired by the Father to make such a statement of faith. But when Jesus says, I'm going to be killed, I want to be crucified, I will be rejected, that did not fit with Peter's view So Peter, of all people, takes Jesus aside, and it says rebuke in our translation. I like scolded, scolded him. Now, can you imagine scolding the Son of God? And we go from the height of victory in Peter's mind to the bottom. Get thee behind me, Satan. And you know, Jesus' rebuke of Peter, maybe that warns us when we're feeling a little too rooster in the hen house. We've done something great. We've done something wonderful. We've done it for the Lord. We have been nice and selfless, and it is awesome what we did. Wait a minute. And we are in danger of the phrase, I tell you the truth, they have their reward in full being applied to us. It is tempting to lose sight that all of our victories for Christ are in service of His goals, not ours. And it takes just a few unguarded moments like with Peter to make that happen. And I still 
wonder if... Now, we often take from last week and then the devil departed him to come back and tempt him in a more opportune time. Sometimes we really think, oh man, that is the garden of Eden. Is uh, Not Eden, goodness, Gethsemane. That is the garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. So let me ask you this. Something is tempting you. You know you shouldn't do it. Have you ever had a friend who you go to for counsel and they make the temptation even more enticing? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I've seen that kind of thing happen in public, on Facebook. Also notice this, the get behind me, Satan. I thought that Peter had called, uh, I thought that Jesus had called Peter, I'm sorry, my words are getting mixed up today. Jesus had called Peter to follow him, to follow Jesus, to follow behind him. But isn't it interesting, Peter is telling Jesus effectively, no, in this you need to follow my way. You need to do what I want. You need, far be it from this to ever happen to you, Lord. Now be honest. Isn't that a temptation we sometimes have? Not to discover God's will, but to really pray, God, get on board with mine. You know, take up your cross and follow me. If you wish to follow Jesus, there is a hard thing to learn, and it is called self-denial. The Christian life involves choosing the way of God rather than our own path, regardless of all the voices that say otherwise, especially in our modern day and age. We are called to follow the example of Jesus who surrendered himself to the will of the Father. And Jesus used that very harsh language. Anyone living under the rule of Rome would know exactly what the imagery of taking up your cross and following me meant. Now, Jesus, of course, being the Son of God and clever enough to plant that so that people would think of that when he was carrying his cross, also to them they would have known he's talking about the giving up of life. He's talking about when you're on that road, the road of sorrows, the Via Dolorosa, carrying that cross to the place of execution. He's saying that I will... If I try to save my life, I'll lose it. And if I lose my life for him, I'll find it. What can that possibly mean? You notice how many times Jesus took things and stood them right on their head. The first shall be, and the last shall be first. How about this? And we say it every day that we're in church, or we say the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive us our temptations as we forgive those. Uh, Forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who have sinned against us. With the same measure, it will be measured unto you. So there's some interesting principles that he gives us. The great reversal, the first shall be last, the last shall be first, is one of those. But this is another aspect of it. If you want your life, You have to be willing to give it to Christ. If you try to gather it to yourself, your goals, your opportunity, you are going to lose it. 
And of course, in King James, they changed that from what does it profit if you get the whole world but give up your soul? Because they're making it easier for us, the King Jimmy translators are. They're helping us to see that there is that connection in the Jewish mind between life and life that is eternal. What is it going to profit you if you gain this whole world, but you miss out on that everlasting life because you have been wanting to follow your will, your way, your headship or rulership over your life instead of listening to God? Sometimes spending our life in service does mean the giving up of our life on earth. That is rare for us here to be the Dietrich Bonhoeffers of the world. There are places in the world now where there are Dietrich Bonhoeffers aplenty. I will mention it. We need to pray for those Christians and even Yazidis in Syria right now. The latest thing is they are kidnapping Christians and Yazidis to harvest their organs. There's a video that we don't know for certain, but it purports to be a six-year-old girl being taken screaming after her parents were killed for this to be done with her. There are Dietrich Bonhoeffers in this world. But for most of us, the decision will be the daily dying to ourselves and living as Christ. It will be that decision that Billy Graham made over and over and over again. Each day, will I represent him or will I gather more to me? Regardless, it always means surrendering our goals to God. And that is hard. Because in a way, I don't think we ever really grow up. There's always that little child inside of us that wants when what they want when they want it and they want it now. By the way, we know babies are so sweet and innocent, but, uh, and innocent, but aren't they the biggest little tyrants in the world? Think about it. I mean, if they, if you don't get it for them now, what they want, they will make your life miserable. And let me ask you this. How many of you really had to get it into your kids, this one little concept of sharing? Wasn't that hard? Isn't that hard for us sometimes still? We tend by very nature to want, oh goodness, <laughs> to want to be the ones at the center of it all. To want to be the ones that everyone looks up to and follows. That's a part of our nature. But the whole purpose of the Christian is a ministry of consistent redirection from themselves to Him. Even in a world which tells us to place our will, our goals, our self-actualization at the forefront, like the end of the poem by William Ernest Henry, a late 19th century poet. The last line of the poem Invictus reads, It matters, now listen for the Christian imagery turned on its head, It matters not how straight the gate, or how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I've, I heard the last two lines a lot. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. I never knew there was such a violent opposition hidden in it 
and in the poem to the idea of anyone other than himself, William Ernest Henry being the one in charge of himself, regardless of the straight and narrow way, regardless of what might be on the scroll of his life. How much our culture tends to want to uplift. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. But yet the message of Christ still shines through the lives of his children. In the home stretch here, folks. Out of the salt shaker and into the world is a book by Rebecca Manley Pippert. She was an agnostic who said she was afraid to come to Christ. Why? Because she was afraid that it, she would cease to be herself if she became a reflection of Him. But she said she found that as she relented and came to Him and surrendered herself to Him, she became more herself than she had ever been. She became that person she was always meant to be. The truth was that in sacrifice, she found victory. We each have that choice. Savior or self. Y'all know John Piper? Wonderful author. He wrote a book, Don't Waste Your Life. He's, he's the son of an evangelist and he said every so often he would go and listen to his dad preach. And one of the stories that really impacted him was the story his dad told of being at a revival and this man who had for years resisted the call of Christ came down knelt at the altar and prayed and surrendered his heart and his life to Jesus. And then afterward, that's when the tears really started. Because as he looked over his life, he started telling the pastor, I wasted it. I've wasted it. I've wasted all of it. Please don't waste it. At near the end of his book, I want to close with John Piper's words because they are good ones. The opposite of wasting your life, the opposite of wasting your life is to live by a single soul-satisfying passion for the supremacy of God in all things. If you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of the pebbles you drop become waves that reach the ends of the earth and roll on into eternity, you have to know one great all-embracing thing and be set on fire by it. And like Paul declare, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. You want your life to have meaning. You want to have victory. Jesus tells us paradoxically the way to victory is surrender. That's how he won. That's how he overcame for all of us. I know it doesn't make much sense, but it really does. Give not just your soul, but your very life to Christ. And see the things that you do count and roll on in 
to eternity. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that our lives, when surrendered to you, can have an impact far greater than anything we ever imagined. Lord, we may never see the ways in which you have used us this side of eternity, but Lord, we praise you. For we know that in you we find our purpose, our meaning, our joy, and our eternal life. Lord, let it be that this week, this day, we follow you and allow others to see you in us. In your name we pray. Amen.